0: only one there is only one there is only one found worthy there is only one there is only one there is only one found worthy and there's only one there is only one. There is only one, there is only one found worthy There is only one, there is only one Well, uh, I'm the shepherd, and you're the sheep, and right now I need two volunteers to come forward, so, I mean, would you do it, Derek, All right. do, do, how about you, Jeff, would you, okay, you, you just come here, stand right here, and go ahead and play the video, Kevin, just watch this. Now that's love, and uh, the Apostle Paul said that all the commandments are summed up in this one word, love. That, that's love, but not just love. That, that was uh, like a promise, like faithful love or covenant, covenant love. In, in Hebrew it's the word chesed. Do you, can you say that? It's kind of it's like you're like you're spitting. Chasad. But but anyway, it means it's translated steadfast love or loving kindness uh, or mercy in the Old Testament. In Matthew nine thirteen. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, he says, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy. And he's quoting Hosea, and Hosea uses the word chasad, so he's saying, I desire hased and not sacrifice, like goats and sheep and, and stuff, like, stuff like that. And then he makes the statement that we preached on last time, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So God desires chasad, he desires what you saw, In that movie so what I want the two of you to do is is that okay so I want you to stand at I say you Jeff you go stand over here Derek you stand over here okay and then when when we start singing and I will always love you like that okay because I will always get that that's chesed they were talking about chesed okay then when we start singing that I want you to do what they did in the movie don't kiss though because that's a little weird all right but I want you to run at each other like full speed and just grab each other like that okay and wrap your arms around each other um because that's chesed okay and and one other thing um I want you to do it blindfolded so go ahead and put that on And Derek, you put this on, okay? So just tie that around back there. Can you get that, Jeff? Okay, can you tie that there, okay? And and now remember, this is what God commands, all right? So when we start singing, you're gonna run at each other and do what they did in the movie without the kissing part, okay? Ready? And I will always love you. Wow, that was pretty good. That was that was pretty good. Now now leave your blindfold on. Okay, now I want you to turn, and I want you to face everybody, and I want you to describe what you just experienced without words. Okay, go. No word, yeah, okay, okay, Uh, that's all right, okay. Come on, try harder, come on, try harder, Derek. You can do it, come on, explain to them, tell them about what you just experienced and how great it was, okay, come come on, come on. (sighs) Okay, now I just have one more question for you because you kind of failed at that. (laughs) Do you feel kind of harassed and helpless? A little bit. Can we use words? Yeah, and you can use words now. Yeah. To describe that with no words, yes. Yeah, you do. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. You guys can go ahead and sit down. Um, I thought you did remarkably, remarkably well, but I think the little experiment confirmed something that I suspected, and and that is uh, number one, it's it's hard to love if you can't see the person. That, that you're called to love. I mean, imagine how hard it would be if I would've spun you around even bef- before you, you did that. And the harder you tried, I mean, you might've, you might've hurt yourself. And number two, it's hard to speak about love if you can't say a word. And number three, the harder you try, the worse it gets until everyone feels harassed and, and helpless. And, and this may be important to note today because in our text, number one, Jesus heals a blind guy, that's significant. And then number two, he heals a mute guy, and I think that's significant. And number three, he has compassion on the crowds for they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd because their shepherds just keep saying, try harder, try harder. And then Jesus says this crazy thing, I think a totally crazy thing about a harvest. So um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we pray that you would help us to see the light. We pray that you would help us to speak the word. For the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Father, help us now to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter nine, verse 27. Jesus has just said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, and to the Pharisees, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Verse 27, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. You know, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus seems to spend more time telling people to shut up than to speak up about him. It's like they see him, but they don't really see him. So if they were to talk about him, they'd misrepresent him. They'd like speak a lie about him. Uh, These two blind men, they see with eyes in their heads now, but it seems they don't see very well with the eyes in in their hearts. They call him son of David, and he is the son of David. And yet David conquered with power, and Jesus conquers with mercy. Well, there are a lot of blind people, you know, who can't see with the eyes in their heads and yet see very well with the eyes of their hearts. And there are seeing people that see well with the eyes in their heads and are like utterly blind to the glory of God. Next verse. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. The crowds marveled and saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. You get the idea that the Pharisees are like utterly blind to the glory of God and to people. And so they can't speak to people about God. It's like they have a demon and it causes them to speak lies. In Matthew 23, 16, Jesus calls them blind guides. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocritus, for you travel across sea and land to make a single convert, and when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You blind guides. You see, blind guides are dangerous because oftentimes they're successful. Don't think for a second the Pharisees aren't successful, at least not the way that um, we measure success in, in this world. The Pharisees had become an extremely popular and successful movement in Jesus' day. They were the guys that, you know, took religion seriously, and they had thousands and thousands of, of converts. 11 years ago, I I preached on these verses and pastored one of the fastest growing churches in the area. And I remember people would come to me often and they would say, well, Peter, you must be doing something right because just look at all the converts. I like that, but it always made me nervous because you can make converts in the name of God and just be making children of hell. And that's an interesting phrase, children of hell. I mean, does that make any sense? Can hell father children, real, real children? In John 8, Jesus says to some Jews, he says, you are of your father, the devil. He is a liar and the father of lies. That means you, you Jews, you Pharisees, you are lies. Fathered by the devil through seed that is a lie. So what's the lie? Well, I think it must be something like this. Hey, you ought to make yourself in the image of God with some of that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You ought to because, you know, well, God can't really be trusted. You ought to make yourself righteous using the law. And, of course, what, what we end up making is a self-righteous self, a, a false self, a Hippocrates, an, an actor, a lie about, well, about love, a lie about love, and God is love. We don't make him. He, he makes us. You know that. If we think we make ourselves in his image, what we make is a lie about his image. The Pharisees were supposedly teaching the crowds, Uh, to love, and they were, in fact, teaching the crowds uh, how to tell a lie about love or become a lie about love, saying, try harder, try harder, try harder. Next verse. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep with without a shepherd or maybe a bad shepherd Har- harassed and helpless and Jesus was moved with splagnizomai it, it literally means gut wrench Splognon means gut or or bowel. he felt gut wrenching compassion as if he was <clears throat> in, in labor giving birth to mercy when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus looked upon this crowd, harassed and helpless, and said, The harvest is plentiful. Do you ever get the idea that Jesus sees something that you just don't see? He says it in Luke and John as well. In John he sees Samaritans and says the harvest is ripe. Here he says the harvest is is plentiful, is not will be plentiful, but I see it right now. I'm looking at it. It's, It's like hanging there on the vine. And now, what have we seen so far as we've kind of walked through the synoptic gospels? Well, since he began his ministry, this is what we've seen. A leper, a Roman centurion, a mother-in-law, terrified disciples in a storm on a sea, a demoniac living in a cave on the other side of the sea, a guilty paralytic, a tax collector, and a bunch of sinners with whom Jesus parties. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. Well, his mercy has been plentiful. But when I think harvest, I think money, power, and success, right? I think King David beaten up on Philistines. Not Israel, oppressed by Romans, and Jerusalem surrounded by crosses, Roman crosses, as it was in Jesus' day. But this son son of David says the harvest is plentiful. In the very next verse, Matthew 10:1, Jesus calls the 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel, and he sends them out like laborers in the harvest, but he tells them, they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, Matthew ten seventeen, verse 22, and, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And you know how the story goes. The crowd, harassed and helpless, The crowd over whom he said the harvest is plentiful. The crowds who chant Hosanna to the son of David just five days later chants crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus' body is broken and his blood is shed as he's nailed to the tree of law naked. It's the climax and pinnacle of all sin. Isn't that amazing? The definition and maturity of all sin human sin, it's hard to imagine a harvest less fruitful than that, especially for a son of David. He didn't say, it will be plentiful. He said, look, it is plentiful. So when you look at your life and the people in your life and the situations in your life what do you see and what do you say is the harvest plentiful jesus says the harvest is plentiful and i think gosh jesus i'm not sure that i see what you see a harvest you know when i was a kid i always wanted to help with the harvest we had a garden and growing stuff that was a lot of work a lot of poop, dirty soil, manure, dirt, and it required just an immense amount of patience for a seven-year-old boy. But when dad said, it's time to pick the cucumbers, Peter, it's time to harvest. Oh man, I was just, that was awesome. I was excited about that and I wanted to help. It was a great privilege to help harvest. A joy for us. And, and yet pain, perhaps even death for for the plant that's kind of weird but but in a moment in the twinkling of an eye all the dirt work and pain bore fruit fruit well well, what does Jesus see growing and what does he plan to harvest harvesting seems to happen all at once but growing takes a long time it's a strange process in Luke chapter 13, talking to some Jews who are having a hard time forgiving, Jesus told a parable about a man with a fig tree that wouldn't bear fruit. He's going to cut it down, and the gardener says, Hey, wait, I'll dig around it, break up the soil around it, and then I'll dung it, and then we'll come back next year and see if there's fruit. Do you ever feel broken and dunged? When you look at the people in your life, do they look broken and broken? And dunged. For 2,000 years, Israel had been repeatedly broken and dunged. The earth is broken and just full of dung. So when you look at it, what do you think? What a hopeless mess. Or do you think, hey, the harvest is plentiful? Jesus looked on the crowds, harassed and helpless. He looked on Capernaum that he said, he said was more sinful than Sodom. He looked on an evil and adulterous generation. He looked on Israel as she prepared to crucify him and he said, the harvest is plentiful. What does Jesus see that we do not see? And what does he plan to harvest? Well, repeatedly, he's been impressed with faith. And there's a sense in which we all have faith. It's just that we have faith in ourselves, and that's called sin. But as we grow, our hearts are broken, and we experience a lot of dung, and we begin to lose faith in ourselves and become ripe for faith in someone else. The self-righteous that we talked about last time, remember, have faith in themselves sinners are ripe for putting faith in a savior and so the guilty paralytic and his friends they bust right through the roof to get to the savior the centurion says master only say the word the tax collector says come to my house the blind man says yes Lord you can make me see the confused disciples cry out save Lord for we're perishing they had faith in the Lord's mercy and he had created that faith with mercy and now he harvested that faith with even more mercy their sin had ripened into faith in in mercy but the self-righteous hate mercy well jesus saw faith and he said god desired mercy faithful mercy and merciful faith i think that's chasad Maybe God is growing chesed, and I, I, I will always love you, and I. chesed is eternal, but maybe it grows in the temporal dust of this earth, and maybe it grows in the temporal dust of your soul and my soul. Paul wrote that we are God's field. Well, how do you grow a harvest of chasad? In Romans 8, Scripture says that God subjected all creation to futility, like broken soil and dung. He subjected all creation to futility in hope. Hope of what? Maybe hope of a chasad harvest. Galatians 3.22, Paul writes that the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by Jesus Christ's faith might come to the believing. Like sin is a necessary precursor to faith. Romans 11, Paul writes, God consigned all to disobedience, that sin, so that he may have mercy on all. Like sin is a necessary precursor to mercy. Matthew 3, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, bear fruit that befits repentance. Well, you can't repent unless you have a sin to repent of. And you know, it's the one forgiven much that loves much. And so I guess you, you can't really be forgiven much if you haven't sinned much or realized that you have already sinned much. So no need to go out and sin more. It's like John writes, we love because, I think that would be hesed in the Hebrew, we love because he first loved us. He loved us when we did not love, and that's sin, not loving. We love because he first loved us, and then he writes, he who loves is born of God and knows God, for God is love. So of course we can't make love. God is love. Love makes us and he's still making us. So how is God? How does God make us? How does God grow a harvest of faith in mercy? That is faith in grace. That is chesed. Well it seems pretty clear to me that you can't have faith in mercy without some sort of demonstration of mercy. And you can't have a demonstration of mercy without a need for mercy. That is, you can't have a revelation of grace without sin. And Jesus just said, I I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, what had God been growing in Israel ever since he gave the law to Moses, like, what, 1,500, 200,000 years earlier? what, What had he been growing? Sinners. Not sin. God can't sin and God hates sin, and yet he made you a sinner. He grows sinners. And remember what we said last time, a sinner is someone that wants to be righteous, and realizes that they cannot make themselves righteous. Paul even wrote this, the law came in to increase the trespass. Isn't that amazing? Increase the sin. God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden for a reason. And God gave the stone tablets to Moses for a reason. Why? To increase the trespass, writes Paul. To increase the sin. I know that sounds crazy, but what is God growing in this world? He's growing sinners, and that should be abundantly clear by now, right? There's a sinner born every minute. The world's like full of them, and they're growing, like seven billion of them or something. That's freaky, isn't it? God's growing sinners, for from them he will reap a harvest of righteousness. His righteousness. Chesed. That is sinners saved by grace and full of chesed. That is people who love much because they've been forgiven much. That is people who love because they've first been loved by God in Christ Jesus. People who bear the fruit that befits repentance. People full of faith in mercy. People full of chesed and God is chesed, Adam. Loving in freedom, in God's own image, Adam in God's image, that's the harvest of this earth. Revelation 14, John sees the harvest of this earth, one like a son of man, and he reaps the wheat harvest, and by the way, he's not a grim reaper, the reaper's Jesus, with, with wheat we we make bread and Jesus took bread and he broke it saying this is my body given to you then another angel Revelation 14 who who also looks like Jesus he reaps the grape harvest Uh, then he takes the grapes and throws them into the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God out flows blood that's wine have you ever seen that before and wine That's blood. It's plentiful. It covers Israel to the depths of a horse's bridle. I've preached and written on this quite a bit, but I think scripture makes it clear that the winepress is the cross of Jesus the Christ. At the cross, Christ takes our sin. You know, confess sin is like what? Well, that's like fruit that befits repentance there he takes our sin and crushes our sin transforming our sin into his mercy blood that's wine and wine that's blood and and check this out this is the plan for the fullness of time to make us in his image at the cross of christ to harvest our sins and transform them into his righteousness gratitude thanksgiving praise worship And so he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. You know, the cross is a tree, a skulon. I think it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for it reveals our sin. And I believe it's the tree of life, for Jesus is the life we took his life and yet he gave his life he forgave his life so it reveals our sin and it gives us god's life jesus i mean it is an exceedingly fruitful tree through christ and his cross we're made in the image of god and all things are reconciled to him writes paul And according to Scripture, Christ and his cross is the end of the ages. Jesus said the harvest is the close of the age. Jesus is the end. He's the boundary between time and eternity. Now, that's more theology than your brain can take in. But I think your heart knows what I'm saying. Confessed sin yields righteousness. In other words, true righteousness is the fruit of confess sin. I mean, not something that we can just decide to make by working some kind of workbook or taking a class or something, but something that God must grow in your life and then then harvest. He grows sinners and harvests them with grace. The grace, well, the grace cuts away sins and transforms them into gratitude for grace, faith in grace, chesed. Grace cuts away sins and transforms them into his righteousness. The grace can burn like fire and yet taste like wine. God's grace, God's mercy is judgment. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. So God grows sinners and he harvests them with mercy, producing a bumper crop of chassad. Now, I can't believe that I'm about to show you this, but this is what I'm saying. I wept when I saw this. It's from a horribly raunchy movie that I'm not necessarily recommending, okay? Titled, This is the End. It's about a group of actors who miss the rapture because they're sinners, it's pretty clear. And they're trying to figure out how to get raptured. In this scene, they just give up on making themselves righteous and confess their sin. This is the end. Listen to me, man. I'm I'm a... Idiot! I'm, I'm, I put myself up. I'm, I'm, I'm self-righteous. I no. think I'm better than you. No. I was resistant to change. No. I should have grown with you. I, I should have, I should have changed with you. We should have changed together. I, I, I didn't like what I became, so I hated what you became. It's fine, man. It's fine. I love you, Seth. I love, love you, man. Buddy. I Let's die together, man. Let's die together, man. Jay! I it. we did it! I'm not getting sucked up into heaven! What do you mean? Why not? I don't know why not! Take Come my on. hand! Okay, take me Wait. with you, Jay! I'll oh, take you with me! Ah. Yay! Ah. Yeah! Ah. 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 He's not going to take me with you! We're going down! Keep holding on and you'll get pulled off, too! It's not! though. No, I won't, man! I don't deserve to! Fuck! Condom- let go, Jay! You'll die! I know! But you won't! Oh! No. I don't deserve to go to heaven! But you do! You do, okay? We're both gonna die if I don't let go! Love you! I'm not gonna hold you back anymore! what God is harvesting and I will always love you Seth Rogen says I don't deserve to go to heaven you do I want to die for you I'll go to hell and you go to heaven who does that sound like sounds an awful lot like Jesus doesn't it well God's judgment this required some editing uh, God's judgment renders Satan impotent and rescues Seth Rogen from hell But not only that, it makes Seth Rogen in the image of God. He loves, not because he has to, but because he wants to. He loves in freedom, entirely unconstrained by law. And I will always love you. And I will always... What is that? That's the life of Christ. That's chesed in Seth Rogen you know I wrote a book on the revelation and I honestly think that movie may be the most theologically accurate end times movie that I've ever seen and all the others God only seems interested in harvesting people with Jesus t-shirts and people that um, say a little prayer at the end of a booklet and refuse to get some freaky weird tattoo people who talk about love but don't seem to know who love is Well, anyway, Jesus looked out on the crowd of sinners and said, the harvest is plentiful. I suspect that I'd look on that same crowd of sinners and and have them all arrested because I don't see what Jesus sees because we don't see what Jesus sees. We see a tax collector and a thief and Jesus sees Matthew. We see a prostitute and Jesus sees his bride, the church. We see the lost, and Jesus sees the found, Jesus sees the harvest, and if you can't see the harvest, how are you going to work the harvest without trampling the grain? The Pharisees are not only blind to the harvest, they actively work the wrong harvest. They grow fake fruit, plastic grapes, imitation wheat. They actually farm tares. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed wheat in his field and his enemy sowed tares. Tares look like wheat, but they're not wheat. They're false wheat. The Pharisees farm false people by sowing lies. The lies are that you can make yourself righteous, that you can make yourself in the likeness of God, that you can make yourself in the likeness of love with law. And the law describes love, but, it, but it's not love. So living by the law, well, what is living by the law? Well, it would be like watching a romantic movie with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston and then just trying to do whatever they do. I mean, you may imitate love and still have no idea what love actually is. And if someone in authority, like a shepherd, were to say, well, that's love, that's, that's love, you just, that's, that's love, do that and that's love, well, you might think that you do love, but in reality, you'd be a walking, talking lie about love a Hupacritas, an actor. You couldn't actually love people because you wouldn't know love or see people. You couldn't actually love people because you couldn't see people. You'd actually create more false people, more actors. You'd actually compete at love, compete at love, which is the very opposite of love. You'd judge your love and your neighbor's love as if love were your own creation. You'd actually be proud of your ability to love, but secretly, even secretly to you, you'd, you'd hate love, real love, that is, chesed. Sometimes, I think that we religious leaders grow almost nothing but tears, For we will find a way to create laws teach people to be self-righteous that's that's the way institutions work and then when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful well we have no idea what he's talking about years ago my daughter went through a horrific time got herself in a lot of trouble she was not acting like a pastor's daughter should act one night Susan cried out to God saying Jesus what are you doing and she heard him answer he said, I'm saving her. At the time, I thought, you've got a weird way of saving people. But he was. Through that broken soil crap and sin, God was growing a beautiful harvest that, that is my daughter. In fact, all my best memories of my kids are of moments in which they failed, surrendered their failure, and let me love them. And each time was like a harvest of eternal fruit, but not just in them, in me. So so living by the law is like watching a romantic movie with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston and then trying to do what they do. But to actually love, you must allow yourself to be loved by the great bridegroom. You must surrender the act, expose the shame, be touched by grace, and that will bear fruit, the harvest of of this earth. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How few? You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, few often means one. And in three years, this one, Jesus, will be hanging on a tree on the sixth day. All his disciples will have deserted him in fear. The crowd that chanted Hosanna is now chanting crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus looks out on that crowd from that tree, that crowd harassed and helpless. He looks out on that crowd and he is moved with compassion. He's like in labor with mercy. He looks out on the crowd, he looks out on us, he looks out on this world and he sees a harvest and then he speaks the word, Father. Forgive them. He is the laborer. And he himself is the harvest. He is the man who loves in freedom. His body broken and his bloodshed is the harvest of this earth. Bread and wine is the harvest of this earth. His faith and his mercy is the harvest of this earth. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, plural, into the vineyard, into his harvest. Pray. So we can't make it happen, but he he can and does make it happen. But how could we be laborers if he is the laborer and the harvest? Well, he'd like have to make us his body and his blood. Then we might even be his body broken in certain situations. We might even be his blood shed in certain situations and then we could see his harvest and we could see people in his light he is the light and then we could speak the word and he is the word he is the end he is the judgment we could see sinners and speak the word in the name of Jesus the Christ your sins are forgiven you we could labor in his harvest in, in the late 90s at the end of apartheid in South Africa, they uh, held these public trials, not not necessarily legally binding, but to work through all the pain and trauma of apartheid. It was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and and in, in one of the trials, they brought an elderly woman an elderly black woman face-to-face with a white man, Mr. Vanderbrook, who had confessed the savage torture and murder of her son and her husband. The old woman had been made to witness her husband's death. The last words her husband spoke were, Father, forgive them. When this old lady saw Mr. Vanderbrook, what do you suppose she saw? One of the members of the commission turned to her and and asked, how do you believe justice should be done to this man who has inflicted such suffering on you and so brutally destroyed your family? And the old woman replied, "I, I want three things. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather the dust and give him a decent burial. She stopped, moved, composed herself, and then said, my husband and my son were my only family. And so secondly, therefore, I want Mr. vanderbroek to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him and into him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbroek in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. So when she saw Mr. Vanderbroek, what did she see? She saw the harvest, the harvest of this earth. And so she spoke. She spoke the word. The assistants came to help the old black woman across the courtroom. Mr. Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he just heard, passed out. He fainted on the floor. When he woke up, I, I imagine he was something of a different man, a new man, his old man, the imitation man, the self-righteous man, the tear had been uprooted and was being burned, and the wheat was being harvested. The courtroom broke out in a spontaneous rendition. All of the people that had been victimized, that had been through such trauma, they, they spontaneously began to sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Well, the harvest is plentiful. Can you see it? The harvest is plentiful. So on the night that we sinners delivered him up, that night, the beginning of that day, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper and having given thanks he took the cup and he said this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out blood that's wine wine that's blood poured out for the forgiveness the forgiveness of sins drink of it all of you. So would you just close your eyes for a minute and I want you in your mind just to Picture your field, your neighbors, your family, your friends, your enemies, your own heart, the situation that you're in right now and ask Jesus, is the harvest plentiful? Maybe he's growing faith. It grows in broken, dirty soil. Maybe he's growing mercy, mercy on you, and mercy through you, mercy in you. His his mercy. Mercy that fills the places you have been unmerciful. Maybe, right now, he's harvesting chesed. Maybe right now at this table, he's saying uh, to you, though you have hated me, I will always love you. It's a promise. It's a covenant. It's who I am. And, and when you see it, Well, does it make you want to love? Want to love him in return? You see, that's the life of Christ in you. That's the harvest in you. And it's more plentiful than you can even begin to imagine. So as you worship, come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in, in the cup, dark cups or wine, light cups or juice, ingest the harvest, and go work the harvest, believe the gospel and become the gospel, in Jesus' name, amen. You are making all things new You are making all things new And we are free We are free We are free And so he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And I think you might just be an answer to that prayer. And uh, when you think of that, sometimes people get nervous because they go, ooh, gosh, that harvest looks like it hurts. The pain involved in, in that harvest. Well, Jesus bore all the pain. And there may be times when you share a little bit in the pain here and there. But like I said, when I was a kid, harvesting is fun. That was that was the good part. And God's asking you to share in His joy. And I'm telling you, I don't know that I've ever experienced a greater joy than... Uh, giving this to someone. And, and by giving this to someone, I don't mean just serving communion here at, at church. I mean, w- when I meet someone that realizes that they're a sinner. And remember, a sinner means you realize that you want to be righteous, but you just can't make yourself righteous. I mean, it is a great thrill to look a person like that in the eye and speak the word saying, in the name of Jesus the Christ, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven. And, and not only that, he gives you all things. He gives you His heart and He gives you all things with Him and the harvest is plentiful. You see, Hassad is not some small little thing that you have to keep in a box somewhere. It's like a mighty river. It's like an immense ocean. It's God and He doesn't run out. So in the name of Jesus, may you Believe the gospel and speak the gospel. Everywhere you go, there's a harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.